0: Alright, good morning. For, uh, where are we? Redemption Flagstaff. <laughs> My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here. Delighted to be with you guys. How are we feeling? Great. Pretty good? Okay, great. Listen, we got to move pretty quick this morning. I'm going to start off with a story, uh, maybe less a story, more as an anecdote, uh, which is somewhat the same thing as the debate this week. and you don't care about why I'm telling this, so let's just move on. So uh, there was this anecdote this week I want to share with you, um, and most of you parents can probably relate with this. If you don't have kids, you can still kind of press into it. I think you can empathize and understand, but um, parents especially, have you ever had that moment, right, where for some reason throughout the night, the kids just wouldn't sleep, right, and so you keep waking up, and eventually 5 a.m. rolls around. There's no putting them back down, and so you're just, eyes are red. You're tired. You're cranky, you hate your children, that kind of stuff. Um, And then all of a sudden, right, they wake up, they're running around, and then you do your whole morning. You get one ready for school, because he has to be at preschool by 8 o'clock, and so you got to make his lunch, because you've got to do it the night before, okay? Kids are running around, you say, put your shoes on, but instead you just see a shoe fling across the room, (laughs) right? And so you go, you track that down, you get shoes on, you put everyone in the car, you bring the kid to school, and then you come back. And then you're trying to clean the house, do chores, do some laundry, right? Trying to help out, help out your wife do all these different things that hopefully bless her while she's at work or whatever it may be, and so you're doing this whole thing, and then around noon, you can tell that your kid, uh, your other kid, is is ready for a nap, okay? And so you start getting this joy <laughs> that begins to just flutter. You're like, I'm almost there, okay? And so you get the kid all ready, and you've, you've fed the little kid, and you've rocked the little kid, and you've prepared the perfect bed for the little kid. And, and finally you put them in there and then they just, they just nap. What's a nap? You're like, you do this every day. But eventually you get them in there and eventually they fall asleep. And then if you're me or if you're just a normal human being, you go and make yourself some food. You snuggle in bed. You turn on the office, okay? <laughs> and you press play and you're just so stoked, right? Okay? And then 37 seconds later, Dada! Dada! Right? And you feel this tension in your heart of, I think I love you, right? (laughs) And that's supposed to mean something in the way that I care for you? Like, I'm supposed to go to you? when you call for me? Okay? But it continues on, like, I'll give it a minute, maybe they'll go back to sleep and they don't. And so you just go in this giant wrestling match of, like, how do I love my kid well, and so you have all of this back, so you're tired and you're cranky and you just want some time for yourself. But in that moment, your child is important and requires love and requires attention. Um, And so you go to your child, and some of you are like, no, he's just going to cry. Okay, and I get that's the way to do it, and you do you. That's not just the way that we do things, and so I go and I care for him. And I'm immediately feeling this tension between my own desires and my own needs even versus the needs and desires of my one-and-a-half-year-old kid, okay? And so what does love look like in that context? For some of you, right, who don't have kids, there's just been moments in your life where you've been interrupted, where, where someone has come into your life, and, or some situation has come into your life, and everything was headed this direction, but you were interrupted by someone or something, and it caused you to have to stop and choose how you were going to respond in that moment. So as you know, in this series, we've been doing a lot of Q&A, been asking questions, asking for answers from you, so we'll have our first question now. So um, what is so difficult about being interrupted? Like, why is that such a difficult thing in our lives, okay? And let's hear what you have to say. Why is interruption so hard? It makes you feel less important, right? And that's great. Why? Because all of a sudden, someone else's needs and desires are more important than your own. So, so by, by just, like, sheer math, right, if, if their needs go up, it's like your needs have to go down, and that, that hurts, right? We don't like that. What else? Control, Control right? Like we are a people that enjoy having control over things. Our schedules and time is a significant part of that. So when that is taken from us, we get a little crazy, okay? Anything else come to mind? Pride. Pride. This is my life, right? No one should be able to dictate what happens to my life. This is me. I deserve this becomes oftentimes the language. Do you know how hard I've been working this morning? I deserve some time. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, okay? And, and on and on. We can go through these. Interruption and imposition are difficult things, and they make love exponentially more difficult. I would say love is already, to lo- especially to love the way Jesus loves is hard enough. To love the way Jesus loves when it's in the midst of being tired, being uh, feeling, you know, I deserve this, whatever, and then having people impose and interrupt your schedule becomes exponentially more difficult than it already is. What we get to see in this series, an opportunity, again, as we always say every week since we started, is an opportunity to see Jesus in all sorts of situations in the Gospels and what does it mean for him to love. The title of the series has been Love Walked Among Us, which simply means this, God is love, Jesus is God, okay? We believe then that Jesus is love, so when he was here, love walked among us. He was here, not that he was just a loving person, but rather, he is love, that we would not know love had Jesus not come that we can look at his life and know that everything he does is the embodiment of love. And so in that context, we get to see how does Jesus love when he's tired, when things aren't going his way and people interrupt him, how does he respond that maybe we would love him a bit more this morning and then also we'd find a way to respond that looks just like it. So that's my desire. So turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we want to bring you a hard copy. Our interns will come up. Just slip your hand up. We do it every week. Don't feel weird about it. If you have uh, the Bible app on your phone, now's the time to pull that up. Don't feel weird about that either. I'll also take this time to recommend an app called Read Scripture. It's amazing. It's uh, it's done by the Bible Project guys and uh, super phenomenal. So if you don't have an app on your phone for the Bible, I highly recommend you pick that one up. So pull that up so you can look at the text as we go through. Now, um, if you haven't been with us in this series, I want to highly encourage you to go back and listen to some of these. And honestly, if, you talk, if you're around and you hear Anthony and I, we don't often tell you to go back and listen to the stuff we say, but there's just been something really great, I think, about this series. Stuff that I know has been changing our hearts uh, as, as pastors and as staff here, um, but also just amongst the many stories we've been hearing. And so if you've missed any of the sermons, I highly encourage you to go back because it's all going to give you, I think, a, a, a well-informed and orbed view of what does it mean to love like Jesus. Now, if you weren't here last week, last week we talked about the temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness for forty after forty days of fasting, and we talked about oftentimes that there's this reality that we are too we we, we expect that we will be loving when all of a sudden there's a moment where we must be loving, but rather what we see in Jesus is this pro, proactive resolve to love, right? That, that in the desert. There was this building up of this is who I am, this is what I'm about, I am going to be love to the people in this world. And so we would say last last week with this week pairs up to give us a healthy kind of uh, two-parter series in the midst of this series where I think this should be our theme. It's that love is proactively decided but reactively applied, okay? Love is proactively decided reactively applied. And here's what I mean. Proactively decide we talked about last week. We must resolve before we leave the house that we're going to love. Because when it comes on your doorstep, your emotions will take control, okay? You'll get frustrated and you'll act out of that. Instead of, this is who I wanna be, this is how I wanna live, this is who Jesus is. Spend time in the morning, open up your Bibles, reflect on the gospel. What is God, who does God say that I am, et cetera, et cetera. Now resolve to go love like that. But love is reactively applied. In other words, you don't love in a vacuum, right? Like you love people. And people do things. Like you are around people in your day-to-day, and you have to react to them. And so all this stuff, we need to see them. We need to know them. We need to be in their lives. We need to be proximate, et cetera, et cetera. Reactively applied is our love. We look towards what's happening in life, and we say, okay, based on what I've resolved to do and be, I will now apply that to these situations as they come in my life. Proactively decided, reactively applied. That's what we're going to see Jesus step into here. So here we go. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Jesus heals a woman and Jairus' daughter is your title. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Now, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has been doing some work. He showed up in this area. Thousands of people probably showed up to hear him teach. Okay? He teaches in parables. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. He then decides, I have to go. So he boards a boat with his disciples. They cross the sea, and as they're crossing the sea, the storm rages. So he calms the storm, gets to the other side, encounters a demon that's uh, not just one demon, but a legion of demons inside a man, casts them out, puts them into pigs, sends the pigs over the ravine. They crash. They die. He then has this controversy around, should he have done that or not, even though he should, and that's the whole thing. You read that whole story. So Jesus has been doing work. He gets back into the boat and comes back across and this is like at least a day if not more later and the crowd is still there right like Jesus I'm gonna teach you all this okay I have to go and he goes away for at least a day he does tons of work he comes back in said boat and everyone's still waiting like okay what's he gonna say now okay now and I truly mean this, I'm just curious, because I'm assuming that if someone was so dedicated to sit on a shoreline, not knowing whence the person that they came to hear would return, would they just sit there? Would you just sit there for 24, 36, 48 hours waiting for someone to maybe return? So the question is, is who would you do that for? And I really want to know and you can answer whoever your idols are, the celebrities you love, but who would you wait 24 to 48 hours on a shoreline with little to no food to maybe have them come back to hear what they have to say? Go ahead. I just want to know. Beyonce, Beyonce. <laughs> right? That's fa- Queen B. Okay, so Queen Bee, I expected that one. Okay. Who else outside of Queen B and Jesus? Okay, anybody else? Be honest. You knew, hey, they're, they're, they're going to come back eventually. I just heard him teach. It was amazing. They'll come back. I just want to know you. I want to know our church. Uh, who else? Francis Chan. What? Ooh, Matthew, McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Really? <laughs> He's going to just cruise up in his Lincoln. All right, all right, all right, all right. Um, Chris, what would you say? I said Matthew McConaughey. Oh, you said Matthew. Oh, I thought that was Tasha. Okay. That's even weirder, bro. All right. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I loved how to lose a guy in 10 days like anybody, but still, that's weird. <laughs> okay. So hear me. There's all sorts of people where I think, oh, yeah, I'd probably do that. Like that's like I drew Brees. Like that's my guy. Like I just drew Brees. He's the goat in my mind. Right. And so I'd probably do that. But here's the thing, like really to think about that, like how much love and fascination in not just who the person is, but the content that they're sharing, Would would a whole crowd of people just say, well, he might come back and talk to us, so let's just stay here and wait. And so there's eager anticipation for his return. He comes in, and we pick it up in verse 41. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had only a daughter about 12 years of age. A big part of our story, right, is trying to slow down and look at people in the Bible as we'd want to look at them in real life, right? That we wouldn't just see people and move on, but rather really just gaze and know people and their stories and their histories, right? And so um, let's do that with Jairus right now. Who is Jairus? What do we learn about him from the text? Answers. He's a ruler of the synagogue, okay? So he is a high-ranking Jewish official. So this guy has got some power. He's probably a, a bit wealthier than, than most people around him, and people know him, right? So he comes. What else? He has a daughter, and the daughter is dying, right? So he's a father, okay? So, so I mean, if, if, if you know fathers, if you are a father, if you're, right, just the love and the affection, right? So if this is true, if, if he's a good father, which we're going to assume he is, um, if he's a good father, what's going on in his heart right now? Sorry? Pain? Panic? Yeah, fear? Some desperation? Some, like, my, my 12-year-old daughter whom I've raised, whom I've known, invested in, poured into, prayed with for 12 years, is on her deathbed, Right? So, so let, let's let's see where this man is, right? And there's also in the midst of this, in the midst of that desperation, we see his love, because this is somewhat of an interesting thing. Like if you begin to peel back some of the layers of, of of Jairus going to Jesus is kind of a big deal, because Jairus being a high-ranking official within the synagogue, you see the synagogue and a lot of the high-ranking Jewish officials at this time, Jesus was already beginning to have a reputation they didn't like, and so it, it would have been somewhat difficult then for this. This rabbi, this Jewish official, this ruler of the synagogue, to run to the rabbi that's causing all this dissension amongst the Jewish ranks and say, That's not working. I got to go to Jesus. There's a humility, there's a boldness that I think reflects his love for his daughter. So we see this man, like, and I want you to put all, of the, all these things of where he would be, his head space, his heart space, in this moment, and put that in your pocket, because we're going to come back to it, okay? Here we go. Um, continuing in verse 42. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, "Your faith has made you well. Go in peace." Now I'm going to be honest. Like if, if if we sit in the first part of the story, we have a man who's run in great lengths in desperation maybe even in some uh, kind of vocational suicide to go to Jesus, and all of a sudden this story takes a real quick turn. What happened to Jairus? Right? Like, what happened to his? Now, it's, it's, it's difficult, right, when we just read the Bible. to maybe a us, But imagine you're watching a film, and the whole first 15 minutes of the film establish, this is the plot line that you're supposed to follow. There's a, there's a father, and his daughter's dying, and there's someone that can save him. You're like, all right, hero, let's go. Go save the daughter. But all of a sudden, there's this huge passage that's sandwiched in between the story of Jairus and it's meant to draw our attention to this story, right? Like, it, it's meant to draw us into this. And this is just also the way it happened. So that works out really well for us, too, okay? <laughs> and so, so Jesus, okay, I'm going to go care for Jairus' daughter. All of a sudden, as crowds press on him, all this stuff happens. So let's set the scene. Has anyone ever been to a concert? Just raise your hand, right? Been to a concert before? Especially if you're towards the front, what is that experience like? Come on. It's crowded. What else? Sweaty, okay. Yeah, that was all. Mm-hmm. Yep, real sweaty. What else? Stressful. You're like, dude, get off me, right? Everyone just has this agreement that this is okay, you know? Like, here's whoa, <laughs> hey. It's just stand still. I don't get it. And so, like, it's a tense situation, and it's a sensory-filled situation, right? Like, like you look up, you got the band that's playing. That's where your attention's directed, right? You're singing, you're into it, you're doing things, you're throwing up signs. or whatever. I'm usually praying and stuff, but, but you guys, you know, crazy. And so, so you're there, and, and all of a sudden people are touching you on every which way. Like people are pushing up against you, there's sweat, all of your senses are going off. And here's, honestly... This is the story. You have thousands of people. He just came back wanting to talk to Jesus, and it says the crowd pressed in on him. And the language is saying that literally, like he had to fight to move through the crowd. In the midst of all of this, he senses one woman's touch. You're saying like just just this—the reality of this—that he was so in tune, right? with the spirit in him, that as this one woman grabs the hem of his garment, he stops and knows something has just happened, okay? What what a beautiful picture of this, man. no, interrupt me, right? Slow me down that I might press into love. Let's see how he does. Now, continuing in the midst of that, Um, uh, Jesus answers, power comes out of me, right? Or like, somebody touched me. And then Peter's response is what? Dude, everyone's touching you, Jesus. Like that, like literally, like that's a dumb question, Jesus. Everyone's touching you, okay? But but Jesus knows that something else is is going on, right? Um. So who? Let me just ask this: this is, Who is Jesus, right? Like, and we we talk about him here a lot. Let's not just assume who is Jesus. The He's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh, Son of Man, right? He is he is without sin, so he is perfect, right? he is clean. This is so just just hold on to who Jesus is right now, okay? We got Jairus in one pocket, who Jesus is in your other pocket. It's all going to come together. Jesus is the perfect, spotless, unblemished, clean Messiah savior of the world, okay? Now, let's see this woman. Who is this woman? Look at your text. What do we know about this woman? She's sick, okay? There's an illness that has befallen her 12 years. Sorry. She's broken. Okay, what? She's unclean, okay? That, that's huge, okay? She's unclean. Leviticus 15, your Old Testament law is gonna say because of her condition, she was unclean. To be unclean did not mean she needed a shower. It means unclean as in spiritually unclean, as in she was to be pushed away. You should not be around her. Otherwise, she would defile the clean, okay? What else? What about her heart? Let's just talk about where where is she at? Broken, hopeless, for 12 years. She's spent all of her money, right? So it's not like she's just been sitting around, like no, she's pursued a cure after a cure after a cure, and nothing's working out for her. She's given everything to find a cure for 12 years. Hopeless, desperate, sick, tired, broken, and unclean. This is this woman at the center of this story, is this woman who is ill, broken, sick, and on the outside. Now, here's what's interesting. The Talmud, which is, let's just say it's the commentary of, uh, of Old Testament law and of the Jewish faith, okay, uh, passed down generation to generation. It had 11 cures for this specific illness in the Talmud. So it's, okay, if you suffer with this, do one of these 11 things, and you should be healed. Most of them were potions, okay? Um, but in the midst of that, there were also just some superstitions that I'll share with you. Um, some of these were like, uh, let's see, you take a Persian onion, three pints of them, boil them in wine, and give her, the, give her them to drink and say, arise from the flow. That was one. The next one was, set her in a place where two ways meet, let her hold a cup of wine in her right hand, and let someone come behind and frighten her and say, arise from thy flux. Another one is, carry a barley corn which had been taken from the droppings of a white female donkey for as long as the doctor says, okay? Another one, carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer, and carry the ashes of an ostrich egg in a cotton bag in the winter, and you shall be healed. Okay, these don't work, okay. <laughs> Just as a heads up, that is not do this, um, But hear me, 11 cures in the Talmud. Now, from most of what we know about this text and what we know about this woman, most likely she was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew, essentially. But she was probably surrounded by a lot of Jews that were in the crowd that day, given the demographics of the area. And so what you have is you have all these Jews that see this woman and say, no, 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 our religion says there's 11 ways you can be healed. You don't need to be touching the rabbi. Right? There's all these other ways that you can kind of figure out your healing and your restoration. Don't go touching the Savior of the world that you will now make him unclean. You see that, like, even in the midst of how religion can, it can keep people unintentionally away from Jesus. And So I'm saying, no, no, no. Jesus is trying to subvert even the Jewish thought of the day that anything truly good happens outside of him. I am the centerpiece of healing. I am the cornerstone. Come to me. Like we've seen all of these stories throughout the Gospels. Come to me. I am the healer. I'm the redeemer. I'm the restorer. And yet, even in our day, we chase after things to satisfy that aren't him. So We're so tied and we so buy into these other ideas and rituals and crazy things. But we read this, oh, we'll carry an ostrich egg in, the, in one bag and versus a different bag based on the season. We're like, well, that's crazy. We'll tell, Gosh, I could run you a whole list of foolish decisions I made this week. That in light of believing that Jesus is sovereign, Lord over my life, that is satisfactory in all things, that I just punted him to the corner and said, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think money. I'm going to think money. I'm going to take money today, Jesus. Uh, I'm going to take, insert your thing, right? And so in all of this, there's these little droppings of Jesus showing what love looks like in the midst of the kingdom of God. So um, she is healed, though, okay? So she is finally healed. Here's a question. Um, Once she's healed, Jesus stops. Now, hear me. The healing's already occurred. He's got somewhere to be. Why does he stop? What do you think? personal, right? See, and we've said this line here before, that this woman is more important than the miracle. She is bigger than the healing, right? She is more than just the sickness and illness that has befallen her for 12 years. She's not just another... Hey, We did it. We healed her. Let's move on. He stops in the midst. Again, the crowd is still pressing, still loud, still trying to get his attention. And he stops when he knows he needs to get to Jairus' situation. And he stops and he tries to find the woman. Because he longs to restore her in more ways than just physical. Physical. Notice the shift between verse 47 and 48. I want you guys to look down at your text or your phone, okay? Verse 47 and 48, just from the words, between 47 and 48, there's contrasted pairs of words that I think we're supposed to see. 47 and 48, three different ones. Can anyone pick them out? And this might be a harder question, but maybe if you can see them. Contrasting words in 47 and 48. Woman to daughter. Woman to daughter. Perfect. So she's just this woman, right, that just happened to come in that had all of this stuff, this depersonalized, random woman that came to this, and now she is a daughter. Now she's brought into the family. She receives all the heirship that would come, that's a word, but it comes with being a daughter of the king, value, dignity, image of God-bearingness love fatherness etc cetera, etc cetera. woman to daughter what else healed and saved okay so on one hand right she's yeah there's there's healing right she's restored physically but now she's saved delivered right like there's this broader picture it's not just this small individual thing but rather a larger holistic redemption of her whole self okay couple others. What was that? Hidden and seen. Okay, I don't even have to do this. You guys just preach yourselves. She was just this lost, hidden person, right? But not only she's seen, but then she's also what? Sent, okay? So there's a going component to this as well. She used to have to hide Nope, I'm going to be back here. I'm going to crawl up and grab the hem. Like, I I can't even talk to him. I can't touch him. I'm dirty. I'm unclean. This is what she thought about herself, that she couldn't actually go to Jesus. There were laws that said, man, you should have already had this figured out. Why would you bug the rabbi, et cetera, et cetera? And so she goes and she hides, but still receives the power because she knows who Jesus is, but then she's out in the open. No, see me and let me testify to what Jesus has done for me. And now I will go and proclaim this. Last one that I have is trembling versus peace. She comes trembling, comes fearful, comes worried. I guarantee you, because of everything she's carried, but Christ sends her in peace. Breathe, my daughter. You're free. He restores her holistically. She's a couple not in the text. She was unclean, but she's made clean. And this is no small matter. By, by, by Jesus removing this illness, he restores her, listen, he redeems her past. He blesses her present, and then he restores a future hope. Because in her plight, and, and hear me, because of the radical reality of what first century looked like specifically for women in this culture. And I'm not saying it's great now, but back then, it's real bad. She had no options. She had no prospects. She was probably starting to get a bit older in life, so she probably didn't have family. Maybe she did, but if, if, if she did, they were probably older, and she would have been expected to care for them. She doesn't have a husband because she's unclean. What Jesus does is not just then restore her, save her, but then he gives her a future hope. He restores an option for her to live life and to walk in the kingdom of God as a restored, redeemed daughter of the king. Okay, and the last one. Um, yeah, actually, no. The, you guys already said them all. Good job. Um, do, you see, do you see this moment? Now, this is what goes on in the interruption. You see that? Like th- this this is this is the story of what happens when Jesus had to stop the mission he was on. Because love is proactively decided but reactively applied. Jesus had made a decision we studied it last week. This is who he was. I am the son of God. God shines down upon me. He says, well done. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. He knew his identity. He knew where he wanted his will to be. He knew he wanted to embody love. And so in every moment where there was an opportunity, he said yes. Okay. And so in that moment, even though he knew he was going to help Jairus, okay, he could stop and see this woman. And hear me, there are moments in every one of our days where something like this happens where you are en route somewhere to accomplish something. And I'm thinking sometimes there's someone that you look past and that I look past. That we are in such a rush to accomplish and to achieve and to fulfill, etc., etc., that we do not just stop and say, I'm supposed to love first. And so in those moments, it's just a call for us to slow down. Now, What does Jesus do with Jairus? Back to verse 49. While he's speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Um, If you're Jairus and you're sitting there waiting and you had just gotten Jesus' attention and it seemed like he was ready to come and save your daughter from death and then someone comes in after Jesus has just called this woman who is not a Jew, who doesn't have power, who is unclean, and calls her daughter, what begins to go on in your heart as a father? Anger. Anger. Frustration. Jesus, it, it, you, you were supposed to come with me. My, my daughter is now dead because y- you decided to look upon this woman and to stop. And the rage, I think, that would ensue if, gosh, if we're honest. Verse 50, let's go. But Jesus, hearing this, answered him. Do not fear, only believe, she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child, all weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what. Had happened. So Jesus still goes on, still accomplishes his mission that he was initially set out to do, to go and to show love to this family as well by raising this daughter. And, and again, let's highlight the similarities between these stories because also, what happens once Jesus raises this girl, girl from the dead? What does he do? What? Yeah. Let's get this girl some food, right? She's probably hungry. She's been dead. Okay? Again, well, now, now, just think about this. Like, it just seems so strange. Most of us are tweeting that. Right? Just raised a girl from the dead. Hashtag, I raise people from the dead. Right? Like, it's just... Like, we, we celebrate when we do something great. Like, look, look what I did. No, Jesus. Let's get her some food, guys. Why? Because, again... The person is more important than the miracle. The person is more important than the achievement. This, listen, that should just be a theme for us. People are more important than your achievements. People are the apex of God's heart. His desire, His desire for your life is to be used in love for people and creation as well. Jesus slows down. Helps this woman, reacts to the need to love this woman well, sees her, loves her, but also sees and loves Jairus, the religious man of power, and seeks to love his daughter, raises her and cares for her more than anything that would build his own kingdom, even though he is the one and only person who has a kingdom that's worth building. But he's trying to show his disciples, he invites James and John and Peter in, let's learn here because I'm only going to be here for another year. And so listen, if you guys don't learn this, the church isn't going anywhere. And so we need to now say, man, 2,000 years later, church, are we learning from Jesus? Are we putting ourselves as flies on the wall in the rooms of the things that Jesus does, the people that he cares for, and how he cares for them? Are we saying, man... That's incredible. Is is it in the same way Peter, James, and John, it drew their allegiance to Christ? It drew their affections to Christ, and then it sent them to go and change the world. Is that what's happening as we have the opportunity to learn from Christ every time we open the scriptures, every time we open our mouths and speak to the Lord that hears us? I know it's easy to make church And I even use the language, and we, you know, it's it's kind of becoming cliche in in the church world to say like this is not church. And everyone's like, no, we get it, but do we get it? That the church isn't an event. It's not something you go to. It's something you're part of. You understand the difference and the complexity to that? So in other words, do we come here on Sundays because we enjoy the event of it or because it is a religious exercise? Or do we come here because it allows for our hearts to grow in affection and love and allegiance to our Savior so that we leave here that we might then go and bless the world in love? That's what this is for. Like That's why we gather. That's why we preach. It's why we sing. It's why we make you greet each other. It's not to be annoying. It's, you're the church. You're supposed to know one another so we can go love the world. That's what this is. And Jesus, I think when we have the opportunity to see him in stories like this, as we will for seven more weeks in this series, what a beautiful opportunity we have to love him more, grow in our affections, and go and apply that as we go. Last thing I want to say is, and I, I know we're at 10, 15, so I apologize, but um, some of you are in the room, and, and you're like, dude, when I'm looking at the story, I'm, I'm the bleeding woman, right? Like, some of you here are hurting, and you're broken, and there's just things, and I mean, I just want to encourage you to run to Jesus, and, and if, if you feel safe to run to the church, and I'll acknowledge that this, the church hasn't, throughout history, always been the safest place for people to run. But I'm hoping that's what this is. And so if, if you're hurting, if you're broken, if you're, you're out of options, if you're hopeless, please run to Jesus, run to the church. We'd love to minister and point you to him more. Whatever that looks like, ask. And, and seek Jesus to come and restore you. As he has restored all of us. The reality that Jesus was pressed upon here in the crowd just continued throughout the rest of his life. As a spear was pressed in his side, as thorns were pressed in his head, as nails were pressed through his hands and his feet, and he was put up on a cross. That in that and all the ways, right, where we say, What is unclean, you can't make Jesus unclean, he only makes you clean but that happened one time in history where Jesus became willingly unclean on our behalf. He became sin, though he knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God on the cross. And that is for all who would repent and believe and follow his name. The gospel is good news for us this morning and it draws us to love Jesus and make him and his love known to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, slow us down. You know, at least slow me down, that I could see better and love better, respond better, react better, God, to the work that you're doing in people's lives. God, minister to our souls this morning. I pray for any of those who are hurting and broken this morning. God, they would feel your presence. They would feel your love. God, they would know that you would stop for them and that you have stopped for them. God, we thank you that, God, you don't, you read these stories, God, you don't always just seem to heal. Like, it's, we, we, our physical ailments sometimes stick with us, and sometimes, God, they take us to be with you. Lord, we, we remind our own hearts, and I just sit in thanksgiving this morning, that God, at the end of the day, God, you, you did heal humanity. And you have healed our world through your death and through taking upon yourself the death we deserve to die. God, so whether we experience that healing in the here and now, we experience it a year from now or not until the day that we pass from this earth into eternity, God, we know that the healing that you offer is complete and full and good and true. So Jesus, we worship you this morning. We say thank you that you've done that. Lord, make us more like yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.